challenging uh, lady that is um, uh, barreling down on us. Uh, her name is Fiona, not to be um, mistaken for Shrek's uh, love interest. Uh, Fiona is a, um, is a half a storm. Um, she has been battling probably the most significant wind shear of any um, tropical storm yearning to be a hurricane uh, in uh, recorded history really coming through the uh, Atlantic. Um, and so she is a half a storm. Uh, the, uh, uh, the, circle, the center of rotation is actually outside of, of the, uh, the storm because the front half has been sheared off. Uh, she is oh, headed wow. this way. Yeah, it was uh, looking like she was going to have the eye going right over Croy, which uh, might have been fine. Uh, we are now going to be on what's called the dirty side of the storm. That's where the strongest winds are. She's going to come about Oh, 50 some odd hundred miles, 50 to 100 miles south of us, uh, maybe a little less than that, could be uh, 25 to 30 miles uh, south of uh, St. Croix. Uh, it puts us in the uh, what's called the worst part of the storm, the dirty side. Uh, and uh, uh, it was originally supposed to uh, begin with uh, a tropical storm. This evening, they're now forecast to uh, be tomorrow uh, morning. Uh, but we're uh, we're forecast to get upwards of six to uh, to twelve inches of rain over the next twenty four hours. That's a lot of rain, and uh, uh, two of my three internet uh, broadband connections are uh, uh, will be interrupted by it. I have air fiber uh, on one, and I'm using Starlink, uh, which is satellite for the other. So two of my three are. Um, are uh, affected by uh, by rain, so we we could uh, somehow uh, fade out on you. But we're uh, we're supposed to see Fiona come through here as a uh, as a blustery, very very rainy event, um, which uh, should be actually good for us. Um, and then uh, she's going to turn into a hurricane after she passes by. 
it's always nice to have Malak on your side. Um, from a uh, another point of, uh, of relief, uh, Kirk, I was mentioning to you, I'm, mm-hmm. I am uh, yeah. dancing a jig, uh, celebrating uh, to some extent. Uh, Yawa uh, is uh, is quite the uh, the uh, the tease. Uh, he is in uh, Daniel 12. Uh, he basically says, uh, if you're not living in the last days uh, or the approach to the last days, you aren't going to figure out uh, Daniel. Um, and particularly, you're not going to understand Daniel 12. Uh, just, that's the last chapter of Daniel. You're just not going to do it because he says, I'm going to seal up the book until the last days. So I don't care if you're Einstein, you're not going to figure it out. Uh, but he says if you're in the last days, and particularly if you're one of the two witnesses who he speaks about vociferously in Daniel 12, uh, he says if you've you got your wits about you, you're going to figure it out. So uh, that would be like saying, okay, if I can't figure it out, then uh, I have to wear the, uh, the uh, badge on my head that says you are really stupid. That would be embarrassing. Uh, so uh, the good news is that uh, you figured it out. Uh, now uh, I would I would wager uh, to say the first person ever to figure out the both the 1290 days and the 1335 days, as well as the uh, uh, the uh, times times and half a time, which isn't really time time and half a time. It's mistranslated in English translations. It's uh, Moed Moedim and uh, a uh, a portion of uh, of them uh so it's uh it's three full series of seven moedim plus a partial series of moedim uh, and then the time from the great abomination the great abomination uh is when um satan uh through his advocate uh demands to be worshiped as god where it's it's no longer any pretense he is the God, and if you don't worship him as God, uh, then it's off with your head. And uh, he will outlaw the feast. Uh, it's not like the feast and the sacrifices start again. There's no uh, suggestion that the sacrifices has resumed, as you see in Christian eschatology. Uh, it's uh, simply that the, the regular um, observation of them is uh, mm-hmm. is made illegal, uh, and it's very forcefully, it's a hit by L stem, so it's very forcefully done, uh, such that uh, that observing them is literally a manner of uh, of eternal life or life mortal, yeah. or mortal death. Uh, yeah. And from oh. that uh, that the Satan's coming out party, if you will. Uh, uh, to the end of uh, Israel's uh, ordeal is 1290 days. So I figured out when the first day of that was, when the last day of it is, uh, as well as why there's a difference between 1290 and, uh, and 1335 at the end of, uh, of Daniel. Uh, so that's very exciting. Um, and so far, so good. I've been able to unravel every one of the statements and, and um, I Daniel 7 in terms of what all the symbolisms are and who are the uh, the uh, the horns both uh, small and large um, I've been able to ascertain who the man was that is arriving in white linen uh, so it's pretty exciting uh-huh. so far to, uh, cool. to be able to go through this and and uh, and clearly understand all the pieces I'm still 
uh, going through on pins and needles. <laughs> well, quite frankly, after doing this for 21 years, you don't want to come across as a dunce. <laughs> so I am trying. I am trying my best to do two things. One is not to be presumptive. If I don't know, I want to be able to say I don't know. I don't uh, know. In fact, yeah. there were there were a couple of things in in the uh, in the process, and, and we'll okay. get to this. This is volume nine of uh, of yada yada. Uh, the there is a reference to uh, 3,000 souls that uh, are 3,000, doesn't call them souls, but there's 3,000 in Yahweh's presence who are as brilliant as, uh, as stars, uh, as brilliant as the sun, uh, actually. And then 30,000 uh, who are paying attention to him who are especially judgmental. And so there's the inference that, um, that the number of covenant members that will spend eternity with Yah could be that 30,000. He doesn't specify, Daniel doesn't specify who they are or uh, differentiate between the, the two groups, the 3,000 and the 30,000. Uh, but 30,000 would be very similar to the, the numbers that I have thought would be realistic for, uh, for mm-hmm. uh, Yom Kippurim and the, and the totality of, uh, of those um, who will be with Yahweh. It's a very exciting um, uh, revelation. And, and it's interesting because Daniel does take all of the heat off of, of us because he says, listen, I don't get it. Uh, he keeps on asking, could you explain this thing to me? I don't get it. Now, he's a prophet, and he doesn't get it. So that makes us feel a little better if we don't get it. But then Yahweh mm-hmm. has to go throw in the, that needle of saying, okay, I'm going to lock yeah. it up for the, uh, until the end days. So don't even bother. If you're talking about it and you're not approaching the end days or you're not one of the witnesses, don't even bother because you're not going to get it. You're just going to make a fool of yourself. But if you are one of the witnesses and you are, you know, um, uh, intelligent, it's all laid out here for you. <laughs> don't be or you know one of the witnesses. We're not that intelligent. <laughs> oh, goodness. But so far, so oh, good. You, can read. Uh, you know, yeah. the, uh, the hardest part of it, which are the numbers there, um, uh, we've got. Now there might be something as we go in because uh, – uh, Daniel is, uh, is the three concentric circles. Uh, the same story using different uh, symbols is told three different times. And each time there's a layer of detail added uh, to help further the, uh, the understanding. Um, so uh, hopefully by the time we're done, we'll have something that will be uh, really interesting and worthy of uh, talking about. But uh, it all seems to coincide beautifully with uh, Yahweh's timeline, particularly the number of days between uh, uh, the first of Abib, which will be uh, April, I think it's April uh, uh, 4th. uh, um, uh, Jackie's looked at these numbers now that I've sent them to her, and she thinks it's April 3rd uh, is the first of Abib. Uh, The difference is the percentage of of renewable light that's on the the moon's surface. Mm -hmm, On the moon. Uh, Yeah, and then the... uh, The 1,290 days take to even into account the one leap year uh, between now and then. Um, and really? it, it comes out right at the end of, uh, of the eighth day of, of the celebration of Sukkah, or if uh, Jackie's right, uh, on the beginning of, the, of, uh, of Abib, it's the, uh, uh, the beginning of the eighth day of Sukkah. Um, and it's, uh, but exactly 1,290 days. It's just, wow. And then there's, the 45 days thereafter is uh, is described by uh, Dote, who makes an appearance. He's the fellow in white linen, and uh, and he speaks of of a series of trials of distinguishing 
who gets to live with uh, Yahweh forever and who goes off to Sheol. Um, and so the 45 days, the difference between 1290 and, and 1335 happens to be uh, five weeks. Five is the, the number of confusion. It's the number of, uh, of the era of, of religious and political oppression over Israel. Uh, for five weeks, uh, there will be uh, trials with uh, the two witnesses. Oh, goodness. We'll pause just a minute and see if we can get back on the line. Well, perhaps I'll begin um, reading where we left off. Uh, he did ask me to do a little bit of that if uh, we had any problems like this. I'm very sorry for that because I know you'd love to hear what he, I would, I'd love to hear what he, what he was uh, discovering and in, uh, in, in translating of Daniel this week. But uh, we will start back in Hosha uh, 1-2, and I'll repeat what we had read uh, before the show was closed uh, last week. And then if he can pop back in, we'll pick up there or here wherever we are at that point. So um, from Hosea uh, 1, 2, at the beginning in the midst of this widespread pollution and profanity, Yahweh spoke through Hosea, which means he liberates and saves. And Yahweh said to Hosea, go and take for yourself a woman who feigns love for money like a prostitute. Impregnate her so that she conceives and bears children who are disloyal whores, pandering themselves around like harlots. Uh, this is because those of the land are unfaithful prostitutes, separated and away from Yahweh, as a result uh, and in the end. While Tichia, or Tichilla, is a typically rendered in the beginning, it seems inappropriate to know its roots uh, and leave. Read a short change to based upon Chala, which is the root word, most of these uh, most of the nouns have a verbal root, and Chala is that, for this word. We discover that Yahweh is speaking to Hosha about a widespread pollution and pervasive corruption, which are manifest in the popular religions uh, of Israel. Chala addresses that which is common and pervasive, uh, thus profane. Thus, I might add, it is uh, what Goys are famous for. They have become like everyone else, ordinary, rather than set apart. Uh, Kodesh. This is important because God seldom speaks out against individual, individual sins about the kinds of things on which the religious tend to fixate. Based upon his testimony, he is annoyed by problems which corrupt and people and the uh, people at large. And as it pertains to being wrong about God, the most pervasive counterproductive influence is religion, followed by politics and conspiracies. Each is capable of spreading a uh, virally, spreading virally through human context, such that in the resulting pandemic, the entire society is plagued, uh, which makes me, which in my way I connect dots, I might mention that that is exactly what God called uh, Paul, Shaul was his original name in Hebrew, the plague of death. And as has been the case of Israel, most everyone ends up venerating vestiges of man's imagination and dying estranged from the covenant. 
And speaking of Yahweh, Hosha, like every prophet inspired to speak for God, consistently reveals his name. He is always the same, and is always the same name, and it is found throughout his, their testimony. This is among the easiest ways to differentiate between a prophetic revelation and statements which are challah, profane, defiled, and polluted. Since Isha is typically translated as wife, in this statement, some clarification is in order. Isha is the feminine variation of Ish, masculine individual. Isha speaks of a woman, a female individual of any age, whether single or married, widowed or divorced, a mother or someone who, with the potential. Isha is written identically in the Hebrew text as Isha with an E, as opposed to an I, which conveys the feminine and material aspects of God's fierce, uh, fiery light. Therefore, this prostitute could have been exceedingly hot or a real flamer. But that is not the point, since marriage is not defined in the Torah. And it's interesting, uh, if you're from a Christian uh, frame, there is no ceremony. There is no special designation, and there is no vows uh, which designate, distinguish, rather, a person as someone, one's husband or wife. The religious ceremony, vows, rings, veils, white dresses, and enduring commitments to exclusivity, never leaving one another, has grown out of a pagan religion and political law. On the other side of this equation, divorce is, in the Torah, is a simple and straightforward as writing a letter and explaining the reasons for wanting to separate. This is precisely what Yahweh is doing now through Hosha. Even the Torah's perspective on adultery isn't portrayed as it is in Western society. There is no prohibition against having many sexual partners or against premarital sex. Therefore, Yahweh's instructions regarding committing adultery on an ongoing basis isn't about deviating from sexual monogamy, but instead religious infidelity. And it is from this perspective that we can appreciate the intent of the term such as Zanuin, Zanuim, with an M, harlots. While it is used to describe the oldest profession, beyond this, the tawdry notion of feigning affection for money is so common among religions and Yahweh, that Yahweh uses it to describe the fallen condition of his people. Rabbis have developed an affinity for getting lavishly paid beyond the highest price call girls for telling the religions that they are righteous. Their affliction for the faithful is feigned as in the devotion to G-D. They have become expert at making men most estranged from Yahweh feel as if they were the most godly. And as the Father of the Covenant establishes Established with his children of Israel, Yahweh had had, has had, to endure some very unsavory behavior for a long, long time. So now to encourage empathy among the most unsympathetic of people, God asked his prophet to go find a prostitute. That means that he was off to the nearest religious establishment to find a woman of ill repute, or simply someone as immoral as his people. This union... With this religion, with the religious, would result in an unethical and disloyal children, as it has been the case with Yisrael. Even though the moral compass of Jews was no more misaligned than the Goy, there was a difference. Since non-Israelites have recently become part of the covenant, they were not capable of being unfaithful. They could not break an agreement in which they were not a party. So while they have chased after all manner of false gods, I have. Certainly, most Goy simply don't know any better. There are so many ways to render a car 
in the previous statement that we are tasked with with choosing the best fit in the context. Therefore, I think Yahweh is chastising his people for being religious right to the bitter end, and thus up to the moment of his return. Most will never learn, making Yom Kippurim reunion a fairly small private affair. These things known, the primary purpose of this exercise is that God wants Israel to witness what it was like to be married to a whore and to raise despicable children who besmirch and abandon their father. Yahweh wants Yehudim to realize that they had done what they had done to him and what they would continue to do. He was going to divorce Israel, and it is important to, for them to appreciate why they had left him no, no alternative. And he says, through Hosea. So he went and selected Gomer, which means bring to an end, the daughter of Diblem, two, which means two cakes, to have cake and to eat it too, I guess, and who conceived and gave birth to a son for him. Yahweh said to him, call his name Yitzrael. That's Y-Z-R-A-L. I scatter God's seed. For in a little while, I will reckon with the blood of Yisrael, I, God, will sow. Upon the house of Yahu, I am he that I can begin a temporary intermission in the order of fulfilling the promise associated with the seven with the kingdom of the house of Yisrael. Sorry, these are little tricky words for me. And it shall come uh, to be during that time that I will break the obstinacy and stubbornness of Israel in the valley. Yisrael, I sow the seeds of God. It's interesting about that valley. Gomer's name reveals that God wanted Gomer, God wanted to Gomer bring an end to the obstinate and rebellious nature of his people. In particular, it was a time for Israel to realize that it was all or nothing. They would either be in the covenant or estranged from God and on their own terms left with their own devices. This is to underscore by the realization that they could not have Diblim, two cakes, a round yeasty cake common among the religious of the region, and matzah. The old adage, you cannot have your cake and eat it too, was born here. That's interesting. I didn't know that. It would be religious or relationship, man or God, deception and death, or truth and life impoverishment or enrichment. There's your choice. The words which follow depict tragedy and hope, affirming that the contrast apparently is Diblium, and yes, Yisrael, God's offspring, the children of Israel, would be scattered, but in doing so, Yahweh was sowing the seeds which would eventually take root, bear fruit, and facilitate their fortuitous return. When the phrase ma'at od, a little while, was spoken by God, it suggested that their time apart would be relatively short from God's perspective, where they can be compared to a thousand years. In this case, Israel's time away from God would last just shy of three days from circa 850 BCE to 2030 CE. Zarael, Jezreel, was, as God is stating, a bloody mess, necessitating a bold statement there would be a paquad, a counting of not only what transpired there, but also was preceded by the killing spree, by a killing spree. And there was a successful defense of Israel. 
by a remarkable woman. In this place, the story of Dode and Shaul is told as in the showdown between Eliah and Baal. Jezreel still shudders in the quake of an exceptional evil king and queen, but also of Deborah fending off the Canaanites and thus of the salvation and destruction of Israel. Based on what we are about to learn about Jezreel, it would be unfair to render the valley's name as a pejorative. It is a compound of Ani, I, Zerah, So, and Seed, and El, Almighty God. These words can be rendered I, God, So, or I, Scatter, God, Seed. Therein, Seed can be represented as the seed of understanding, which was, which when properly sown and attended to, would take root, grow, and become fruitful and productive. Or Zerah can represent the offspring of descendants, therefore children. The only potentially negative rendering of any Zerah L would be I scatter God's children. Recognizing that Yahweh can make lemonade from lemons and perfect even the most imperfect of us, we may see Yahweh's L as a reclamation project. That is God's specialty. He saw people for what they were, bloodied and broken in the pile of religious rubble. They were so far gone that only mother and father could love them. He could see them not only for what they were, but what they could become. Yahweh is committed to the most important restoration project in human history, the reconciliation of the chosen people. And it would begin with the honest assessment of Israel's fallen condition. While Jezreel is encouraging linguistically, it is also an intriguing place. The valley stretches from the shores of Yarden, Jordan River, to the Mediterranean Sea. And on the south side of uh, Zarael Valley, as places step in Lord of God into the lore of God's people, Mount Gilboa, the ghetto, and Mount Carmel. On the north, we find the town of Jezreel and the Canaanite city of Shimron, Indor and Mount Tabor. Beyond the rich and troubled history of uh, Jezreel Valley, which is which we will contemplate, we will need to know some of the story of the house of Yahud. I am he, is what that means. And it was in reference to what he represents that Yahweh, that Yahweh Shabbat, Shabbat began a temporary intermission in order to fulfill the promise associated with seven. God, Shabbat, initiated a temporary leave of absence, disappearing for a while, saying nothing until fulfilling the vow he honored the oath of the seventh day. Yahweh would do so with Mamlaku Beth Yisrael, the kingdom and reign of the house of Yisrael. So even in the divorce, there would be no room for replacement theology. God would restore his relationship with his people. Recognizing that Israel has become addicted to the inebriating toxicity of religious cults and that it was compromising their judgment and destroying their relationship, God would need to shabar, which is break their addiction, thereby shabar, giving birth to a new expectation which was emerged from the travail. Specifically, God saw his people adhering to their religious devotion as quiffeth, obstinate and burdensome. Their backs were bowed and they were vehemently resistant to change and unreceptive and mule-headed as anyone has ever been. Even in the midst of the emirate 
profound, which means profound, deeply and mysterious depression where comprehension was deliberately curtailed by cunning deviants plotting to obscure the message. Yarel, or God's seed, would nonetheless take root and grow, becoming fruitful and productive. Are you cutting in? Are you there? Hello, Kirk. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes. Oh, okay. So I'm uh, I am sort of back. Uh, we're having uh, torrential rains, and my internet guy uh, switched us over to Starlink as opposed to oh, great. Uh, a Thank more reliable source, which is uh, broadband. So Starlink doesn't like heavy rains, and I think it uh, that's the problem. So I, I'm uh, now calling okay. in on a cell phone, which is uh, highly problematic under these circumstances. So yeah, I'm not. Uh, yeah, I'm not very uh, optimistic. Um, okay. But as uh, as we proceed with this, we find that uh, God is asking us to conduct what He hopes will be an uh, an open and honest appraisal of what Israel has become, um, mm-hmm. particularly in conjunction with their history. Uh, Israel and Yahoo are are not po- uh, positive things. Uh, the the history of uh, of uh, Israel, the uh, Jezreel Valley, is really bleak. Uh, the things that happen there are horrendous, and so God wants us to see Jews as He sees them, not only for how horrible they have been and have become, but how magnificent. They will be after he restores them. So he's revealing that he has a plan, that he has made a promise, and that his people will rise from the rubble after a long intermission in advance of the seventh day. Now, the entire book of uh, of Hosha uh, is is a dissertation on the history of Israel. Uh, right from the beginning, where God is uh, discussing the um, the original covenant relationships and and the aches and pains in developing them through uh, Abraham, who clearly was um, a scallywag, uh, Yishak, who we know uh, not an enormous amount uh, about, and Jacob. The more we know, the more we have to, yeah, applaud Yahweh for seeing it through. Um, yeah, he had he had issues, and and Jacob really becomes a symbol of Israel. Um, and Israel has issues, uh, and it's it's unwise of us to pretend otherwise. And God doesn't want us to do so. The Book of Hosea is written so that we will face the facts, uh, listen to the music, understand exactly uh, why God has so many grievances against his people, why he has not spoken directly to a Yehudim uh, in 2,500 years. Uh, the reason that God had to choose a Goy to awaken his people is there weren't any Yehud who would listen to him. And this is the story of Hosha. But it, it isn't only the story of, 
of a uh, of a long intermission of being disinherited of of a divorce it is also the story of reconciliation of the family coming back together and that time is just 11 years from now so if you are a yahud and we're broadcasting in a very troubled part of the world right now in terms of our our um, social media outreach it's in the country of chile that uh, has um, just elected a uh, a new uh, president that that all indications are is anti-Semitic. Uh, so it's a tough place to be uh, Jewish. But uh, you know, next door in Argentina has also been an exceedingly tough place to be Jewish, and it's mm-hmm. going to be a tough world to be Jewish over the next uh, number of years. Matter of fact, as we were talking before we cut off, uh, Kirk, the uh, yes. the time of troubles. Uh, uh, is uh, proclaimed very uh, distinctly in uh, Daniel. And the time mm-hmm. of troubles is, as, uh, as I had anticipated, uh, it's three and a half years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, uh, it begins very close to Pesach in 2030, which is 5997 or Year, uh, Yahweh. Year, year of Yahweh. and mm-hmm. it, it ends in um, um, on October second uh, with reconciliations followed by Sukkah in 2033, uh, October second and October fifth, followed by the eight days of uh, Sukkah uh, through the, uh, uh, the the 15th. So this is the time that uh, that all options run out for everyone in the world, but particularly for Yehudim. So you don't have much time. And the story that we're listening to and we will be focusing on for the next number of months in our program is Hosha's revelation of the history of Israel, and he's constantly referring to what happened in the Jezreel Valley. And there's no hiding the fact that everything associated with the Jezreel Valley is just flat-out embarrassing. So... The town itself of Jezreel was located in a valley that shares the, the name, and along the eastern flank of the lowlands was the west bank of the Jordan River. Yardan means to descend, uh, beginning south of the watershed of Galilee. On the northeastern end of the valley is Mount Tabor, and to the south, Mount uh, Gilboa. On the west, the valley extends all the way into Megiddo, where we found Mount Carmel. So these are some um, lightning rod names in the uh, history of Israel. There are some good things that happened here, but far more bad. The Torah speaks of this area beginning in Dabarim, Deuteronomy 11 where Moshe instructs the children uh, of, uh, of Israel that upon crossing the Yardan, the Jordan River, that they should place the Torah's blessings on Mount uh, uh, Urizim and the curses on Mount Ebal. And they, these two mountains are located in the southeasternmost part of the plain where the Jordan and Jezreel Valleys intersect. Now, this is important because Hosha's revelation 
is predicated upon the triumph and tragedy of Israel as the nation either embraced or rejected the Torah's instructions. So it is a a very important place because this is the place where we had the affirmations of the blessings and the cursings. And wouldn't you know it, the most exciting archaeological find probably of the last hundred years was certainly since the uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls mm-hmm. uh, has been found in this very place. Uh, also, just verifying the Torah's authenticity. That's where we find this uh, this lead uh, tablet um, that uh, that speaks of the the curses uh, found exactly where it was where they were spoken. Um, uh, using Yahweh's name, using the this original pictographic alphabet dating uh, to this exact same period. Uh, it proves all the critics of the Torah wrong. Mm-hmm. Now, it is in Yisrael, uh, or Yis, uh, Yisrael. It's, uh, it's spelled very similarly to Yisrael, but it's, it's Y-Z-R-A-E-L, uh, Jezreel that we witness uh, Deborah. Deborah is, is a go-getter man. She is both a Shafat, a judge, and she's a Nabi, a prophet. And this woman, you know, uh, here, uh, I am woman, hear me roar. Uh, she mm-hmm. has oratory, and she is um, exceedingly confident. Uh, she, I guess he would call... Uh, uh, Deborah, a uh, an acquired taste, uh, but um, she is trying to rally Israel in this very place, and and it's against the attacking uh, Canaanites on Mount Tabor, and she would summon Barak, asking him to gather an army from uh, the Naphtali and Zebulun. Uh, to rendezvous at Tabor to defeat uh, Sisera. He was the commander of the uh, the Canaanites, and he was a bad boy. This you'd find in Judges, Shaphat, 4 and 5. So the story then of Gideon also takes place in the Jezreel Valley. Uh, and it uh, is an emact at the foot of uh, Mount Gilboa, that we are provided with a window into the character of a very adolescent Yisrael. That's in Judges 6 through 8. King Shaul, the people's improper choice to govern them, uh, consulted with the witch of Endor, which does not sound like a promising idea, uh, in the Jezreel Valley. He was defeated on Mount uh, Gilboa by the Philistines where he committed suicide. That's not a a sterling endorsement for the Jezreel Valley either. Now, the most revealing and perhaps the most character-defining story to take place within uh, Yisrael, uh, Emek, the uh, Jezreel Valley, is that of uh, Akab. Ahab is is how uh, we transliterate it typically in English, but it's A-C-H. A-B, uh, and uh, Isabel, which is uh, 
changed to Jezebel. Um, this was the great debate. It's one of my favorite prophetic stories. Uh, it is where um, the hero of the story is the amazingly uh, sarcastic Elia, and uh, he single-handedly embarrasses the 850 prophets of Baal, uh, the Lord, and uh, as well as uh, Asheroth, the goddess of fortuitous relationships. Um, it's a story that we've told before, and we, we may also share uh, snippets of it because Elia will return is going to play an enormously important role in our future. Uh, it is on uh, Tabor that Israelite kings built altars to worship false gods. This is in Hosea 5.1. And if you care to believe Constantine's mommy, and you shouldn't, the misnomer named Jesus was allegedly born and later transfigured here in the Jezreel Valley. The Maccabees, the Romans, Muslims, Crusaders, Ottomans, and even Napoleon, did you know that, fought in the Jezreel Valley. Uh, Untended for centuries, it became um, barren, swampy, uh, malaria-infested. However, beginning with the revival of Zionism, Yosha Hankin, who lived around uh, the turn of the century, around 1890, Uh, He and fellow Jews began purchasing as much of the valley, uh, even at exorbitant prices, that Turkish Muslims would sell. And even with the Turks uh, exiling Hankin and uh, stealing the land that he had purchased, Jews were relentless in their pursuit of the valley, which they repurchased, drained, and then reforested transforming Jezreel into one of the most fertile regions uh, um, in the, uh, the nation of Israel. In fact, it's the, the nation's breadbasket today. So Israel Emek, the Jezreel Valley, is also called the way to the sea. Now that's important because in Yahshua Isaiah 9.1, at the introduction to one of God's most revealing prophecies, which links the past to the present and goes well into the future. Uh, it has uh, it's the place where not only significant trade and, and military maneuvers took place in the past, it is uh, the place of, uh, of one of the last day's wars. So Jezreel is where, according to Yermiah, the final battle of the time of Jacob's troubles will be fought. It will be uh, fought in Megiddo, um, and as such, Israel is, uh, is about highs and lows. It's about beginnings and endings, and even a fresh start for those who turn back to where they began. So there's going to be numerous references in Hosha to the Jezreel Valley uh, because Yahweh wants Israelites to look in the mirror, to have an appreciation of what they have done, and then the desire, the motivation, 
the conviction to change. So the story of uh, the Jezreel Valley is Israel's story. And since it serves as the starting point for Hosha's prophecy, the ensuing divorce and the long end, uh, intermission, I think it's appropriate that we review some of the major events which transpired in this place, uh, beginning with Moshe and the body Malevin. Um, his words lead us right to the gateway into this valley. And they coincide with the Israelites uh, as they entered the promised land. So these are exceptionally important instructions. These are, are essentially the instructions that were given to Israel as they were first granted access to the promised land. And we're going to listen to Moshe um, speak of what would occur commencing at the beginning of, of what is an exceedingly insightful speech. All right. So I'm assuming we're still uh, communicating and, um, and mm-hmm. broadcasting, okay. even if it is by cell phone. Okay. So here we go. This is Moshe speaking. You should love Yahweh, your God, by diligently exploring and meticulously evaluating his sustaining and observable requirements is clearly communicated and inscribed prescriptions which cut us in by allowing and allocating a share. His method of exercising good judgment regarding the means to resolve disputes and the instructive conditions of his relationship which convey what he is offering and expects in return every day. Dabarim 11.1. Isn't that interesting? Uh, we've all uh, had love interests in our lives. I've never had a love interest say, you should demonstrate your love for me by uh, diligently exploring and meticulously evaluating uh, my, uh, my requirements, my clearly communicated prescriptions for living, uh, my method for exercising good judgment and resolving disputes, and the instructive conditions of our relationship agreement. <laughs> that, that is not what that is not what you would expect. <laughs> but but look, if, but look at the words. If, look at the words. How about that? Yes. Since yeah. Yahweh has inspired Moshe to say this is how he wants love demonstrated to him. We would be foolish to say that we love, we demonstrate our love for God by making large donations. We'd be mm-hmm. foolish to say that we demonstrate our love for God by expressing our faith. We'd be foolish to say that we demonstrate our love for God by uh, bowing down, Correct. by prayer, by any religious act. God is saying, if you love me, this is how I want you to demonstrate your love. Listen to what I have to say. Explore it. Meticulously evaluate the requirements that I've laid out for us to be together. 
And there are requirements. It's God's home. If you want to be part of his covenant, there are five requirements. His clearly communicated and inscribed, written prescription, which cut us into this relationship, is true God. His method of exercising good judgment, misfot. Misfot, yeah. And the instructive conditions of the covenant relationship, the mitzvah, doing so every day. So the means to love Yahweh is to know Yahweh. And the means to know Yahweh is to listen to what he has to say. What a great concept. What a great concept, yes. It's, uh, so it's those the are the first words religion. I learned to translate, too. Yeah, that's the first word. I want you to know. Yeah, I, I'm not asking you to believe. I want you to know. And if you know me, yeah. I, you're expressing Hopefully you'll love I, your yeah. love for me. Yeah. I don't think there's any way to know Yahweh without loving But you can't yeah. love him without knowing him. So it goes on to say, this is Moshe speaking now. This is uh, the most extraordinary man who ever lived. Come to realize and acknowledge this day that your descendants will not be knowledgeable because they will not have witnessed or experienced the instructions and warnings, the attempts at educating and correcting, which have been offered by Yahweh, your God. His magnificence, his resolute and unyielding influence among his empowering and uncompromising hand, especially the outreach of his Zeroah, his strong arm protecting the flock while sowing the seeds which take root and grow. Even his signs, his examples, illustrations, and banners explaining how to consent to the agreement pertaining to the work he accomplished and the things he has prepared, engaging in and acting upon for the benefit of the relationship within the midst of the crucibles of political and religious oppression and before Pharaoh, the ruler of the cauldrons of persecution and subjugation, as well as to his entire country. And what he did to the overall strength, wealth, influence, and troops of Mitzrayim, where he caused the waters of the Red Sea to flow over them as they pursued after you, to overwhelm and persecute you, as Yahweh reduced their strength even to this day, continuing to benefit from the relationship by what he did for you in the wilderness, right up until you came to this place. Now, Kirk, uh, mm-hmm. I, uh, I like run-on sentences. I, yeah. I love making the connections that a really long sentence can make. But yes. as passionate as I am about Yahweh's testimony and about making connections and drawing everything together in a long sentence, uh, I will tell you that at least uh, half a dozen of my um, uh, editors would tell me, I'm not following this. Could you please break this down into five different sentences? That was a long one. Well, yeah, but you look at the words and you can kind of get it as you go. It's like the previous one, even though it wasn't as long as this one. 
you know, you know what the Meskwa, the Chakwa, Chakwa, yeah, and all that is, and so you're you're falling is is because all those words mean that much. It's probably why it looks yeah. long in English, you know, well, more so and, than and the other. Moshe had a much longer attention span than we have today. Uh, yeah, there were no true, other distractions right? around at the time. Uh, these people knew all of these things, so there wasn't anything here that was uh, unknown to them. And yet what no. he was saying is, you have experienced all of this. You've seen it all. And yet, you don't get it? That's the How part. is it that you have witnessed all of this? You've benefited from all of this. You've lived through all of that God has done for you. And yet, you're just dunderheads about it. How is it possible? How can there be a religion of Judaism when Yahweh says a billion times, don't be religious? I'm sorry. When Yahweh says there's nothing more important than my name, and if you negate the value of my name, I will never save you, is the religion of the Jews based upon the negation of his name? Mm -hmm. How is this possible? And so Moshe is very passionately saying, you've seen all of this. You've experienced all of this. All of this was done for you. And yet it's as if you were on vacation someplace and you missed it all. You're, you were so busy grumbling, so busy pining for the bad old days that none of this registered with you. And that as a result, you're going to continue to make fools of yourself. So it is a long sentence. I'm going to read it one more time just to see if we can follow the flow of it. But Moshe is saying, God did a lot for you in a lot of different ways. And yet, after all of this, you still don't get it. And that's really the story of Hosha. God performed, his people did not. Come to realize and acknowledge this day that your descendants will not be knowledgeable. They're going to be dunderheads. Mm -hmm. Because they will not have witnessed or experienced the instructions and warnings, the attempts at educating and correcting, which have been offered by Yahweh, your God. They will not have witnessed his magnificence, his resolute and unyielding influence, along with his empowering and uncompromising hand. They will not have experienced his outreach, especially that of his Zoroa, his strong arm, protecting the flock while sowing the seeds, which will take root and grow. Matter of fact, he would have Yashaya write, before this introduction to the Passover lamb, and there isn't a, a religious Jew on earth, nor a political Jew on earth, nor any Jew outside of our family uh, that is mm-hmm. raised the covenant that knows what a Zeroah is, much less that they're yeah. horrible. Yeah. Clueless to what a Zeroah is, and they're clueless as to the identity of the Passover lamb, who is Yosha. And that's why Yashaya 
54, 53, 54, where we're talking about the Passover lamb, actually says, who is it that has shared with you the identity of the Zoroah? You may want to listen to him share with you the identity of the Pesach AL. goes on to say, as we go from Marim 11 to uh, uh, 1 to 11, 2, even his signs, the examples, the illustrations, the banners, explaining how to consent to the agreement, they won't understand. They won't understand the work that Yahweh accomplished and the things he prepared for you. They won't see how he engaged in and acted upon these things for the benefit of their relationship, having done so in the midst of the crucible of political and religious oppression. They won't have known what he did before Pharaoh, the ruler of Mitzrayim, as well as what he ended up doing to his entire country. They will not have understood, they would not have seen, they will not even care about what he did to the overall strength, to the wealth, to the influence, to the troops of Mitzrayim. Have no appreciation for how he caused the waters of the Red Sea to flow over them as they pursued you to overwhelm and persecute you. Yahweh has reduced their strength, and even to this day, and then that's continue to benefit from what he mm-hmm. did. But no, I was just thinking how interesting it is that he says even to this day. So think about Egypt today. Never was a power in the world to speak of. He conquered. He got conquered by Rome. Everybody just just the same. Mm-hmm. They were, you know, yeah. uh, Greeks. You name them. They just never came back. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. And for him to say yeah. that that long ago, and it's true today. Yeah, you know what's so amazing here is that. He's saying this now before even his, uh, his long view of history, where he talks about mm-hmm. the, uh, the beast and how Babylon is the birthplace of the beast, and it uh, morphs into Persia, which then uh, transcends into Greece, which then mm-hmm. metastasizes into imperial Rome, which then evolves into the Roman Catholic Church. And what country is missing from all of that? Egypt's not even part. That's right. It's the conquered. It's the conquered. Yeah. Every time. Yeah. It, yeah. It was brought to its knees, ceasing to be a factor. Um, uh, before all of this was said, and he was talking about uh, the history of the world going uh, forth uh, before uh, Daniel's eyes. So. That uh, picks up again in uh, Mm -hmm. 11.6. It says, for by contrast, your eyes have seen all of the important work of Yahweh, which he acted upon and engaged in to show the way to the benefits of the relationship. He did all that for them. And every time that that they had the opportunity, they were condemning Moshe, they were condemning Yahweh, they... They were bellyaching about this thing and that. I mean, every time we turn around, the children of Israel are giving uh, God a tongue lashing. And they want to go back. And it, Yeah. And so you should observe, is Moshe's uh, suggestion, observe, closely examining, carefully considering, Shamar, 
every one of the instructive conditions of the agreement, which to get the most enjoyment out of life, I have provided instructions and directions for you on this day. Because of them, you can be strengthened, you can be empowered, you can be renewed and restored, becoming especially steadfast and unyielding. It is never too late to be restored, to be renewed, to be strengthened and empowered. The process is through the Mikre, Pesach, Matzah, Bakudim, Shabuah, Teruah, Kippurim, and Sukkah. The means for everlasting life in Yahweh's company is through the five conditions mm-hmm. of the Bereth. We can all do it at any time on any day. So go in and inherit the promised land, which is a benefit of the relationship you are crossing over by name to receive as an heir. As a result, your days will be prolonged on the land and above the earth beneficially. And as a result of this relationship, Yahweh promised to your fathers to give it to them and to their descendants. And those who grow from the seeds which are sown, Zerahim, a land that is flowing with milk and honey. For the country which you are entering to inherit is not like the realm of the religious and political oppressors from which you have been withdrawn. Because there, you always sowed the seeds yourselves. Then you provided the water by foot for something like a garden of vegetables. But the land which you are going to cross over is a land of hills and valleys drenched in water with rain from the sky. Now, that's an interesting concept. So, mm-hmm. um, Egypt's flat as a pancake. Right. When land is flat, it gets no rain. Rain is, is a factor of, of air movement over uh, moist areas, like an ocean or a lake, and mm-hmm. then it being uplifted as the, uh, the land rises into, into foothills or mountains. And you see the, the warmer air near the surface can pick up and hold more water than cold air. But as the air is pushed up by the prevailing winds up the slopes of those mountains, it moves up in elevation where it cools, it holds less moisture, and that moisture falls. So God is actually explaining the scientific basis for rain. That's how you get regular rains is with a terrain change, particularly as the, uh, as the prevailing winds come off large bodies of water and then rise. Uh, I know a place like that. It's called yeah. Israel, where the mountains run right up the spine of the country, the perfect place to see to it that uh, they will drop the rain. And what happens on the other side? Well, not so much, huh? No. Uh, you don't, uh, you don't, you get uh, drought. So God is explaining that this place is going to be different. In, uh, in Egypt, all you had was the Nile. If the Nile flooded, you got some good soil, you, uh, you got some water. If the Nile didn't, 
you starved. And so it's an entirely different place that he was taking them to. And uh, he wanted them to have an appreciation of how the gardens would grow here and grow naturally. But the land which you're going to cross over is a land of hills and valleys drenched in water with rain from the sky. And that is because it is a land Yahweh, your God, cares about and attends to. The only place on earth that Yahweh cares about and attends to. Yahweh, your God's sight, is always upon it from the beginning of each year and to the conclusion of time. Wow. Arrivederce, Mecca, Arrivederce, Vatican, Arrivederce, Washington, and Paris, and London. The one place that God cares about. And even when he provides a history of nations, it's because of what those nations did in their interactions with Israel. Mm-hmm. By way of an interesting insight here, um, as I shared with you, rain is really a product of, uh, of the uplift of water, and it needs hills and valleys. Uh, and that's just as a really insight uh, into the subtle authenticity of Yahweh's uh, testimony. He goes on to say, if you will be especially observant. Okay. How many times has he said this? I think it's the fourth time already. Shamar, 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 yeah. Yes. If you will be Shamar, and this is, by the way, Shamar, Shamar. So this is the doubling yeah, down of Shamar. Yes, Shamar. Mm-hmm. Shamar doesn't mean to keep. It uh, doesn't mean to obey. It means to Listen, look, observe. observe. Yeah. yeah, explore, evaluate, examine. Oh, lots of good uh, E-words there. Examine, explore, evaluate. My instructions and conditions of the agreement based uh, regarding what is expected and offered, mitzvah, which to show the way I have provided as instructions and directions for you today. Shawa means to instruct, to direct. To approach by loving Yahweh your God. We're told how you love Yahweh your God. You observe what he had to say. And by working with him with all your heart, using your best judgment, and with all of your soul, your ability, uh, with uh, being observant and responsive. And then he will offer you rain upon your land in the proper time, early autumn rains and spring rains, so that you may gather in and harvest your grain along with your wine and olive oil. Now, there is this tendency to say, all right, all right, God is talking about rain, no big deal, it's a natural phenomenon. Well, if you think it's no big deal, how would you like to live in, uh, in China now, California. where the major rivers are drying up, California? Uh, which is in severe drought, uh, and uh, the reservoirs are, have dried up. Uh, most of Europe is in a severe drought situation. You see the major rivers of, of Europe, and there's just no water in them. There's, I mean, nothing. The major rivers are dry. Pakistan, uh, rather than regular rain, got so much rain that it's flooded. Uh, the world's right now in a mess in terms of, uh, of rain. 
You look at the all of the land surrounding Israel. <clears throat> They're deserts. No rain. So rain is really a big deal. And if you don't get regular rain, well, you, you learn that in a place that, like where I live, at an island in the middle of the, uh, of the Caribbean Sea. When it doesn't rain, those cisterns go dry. You have to truck in water that's, be, that's gone through a desalinization uh, process. Uh, otherwise, you get real thirsty real fast. And so we are, um, are dependent upon regular rains. Uh, so this is actually a big deal, not a, uh, not a small deal, as, uh, as God talks about what he is going to provide for his people. But, you know, here again, um, be observant. Pay attention to what uh, Yahweh is, uh, is offering. Um, understand this, this marvelous land that uh, he is uh, providing for us to, uh, to live in. Um, and once again, we're told that we express our love for Yahweh not by praising him. Well, do you think God created an inferior being to praise him? Please don't do that to God. It's, uh, it's insulting. He tells us he wants to love he, us to love him, but previously he said you love him by closely examining and carefully considering the key aspects of his Torah teaching. And here now he's saying you express your love for him by working with him. Yahweh loves work. I love work. Everybody mm-hmm. should love work. Uh, work is good. It's productive. It, it adds value. It, it's something we can do together that uh, creates something that is worthwhile. You know, everyone that is part of this team uh, that is uh, providing these, uh, these books and this website, uh, the yadayad.com website for it, everyone is working. We're all working for you, with you. For the benefit of his people. Um, last uh, week's program, I, I got into the index that has now been put on the Yada Yada site, and I did it the, after the, uh, we were no longer broadcasting. I just want to mention it now that we are still in the broadcast part of the program. If you go to yadayah.com and uh, you, uh, you look at the, uh, uh, at the search capabilities on the, uh, the site, it is... Um, well, it's just flat out. It's called the index on the top of the page. And you can search by any book, either by its Hebrew name, like Zachariah or Zechariah, and you can choose whatever uh, uh, address you want. Uh, and it will not only take you right to it, you can also scroll down, and once you have a book, find where it is covered in, the, uh, in those 25 volumes that have been published, and it will take you directly to it, and you can have multiple translations up at the same time. Because there are many ways that you can accurately translate uh, Hebrew words. And so it will show you all of it. It is such a marvelous tool. The Yada Yah site has, has uh, come so very far, and, and the social media um, support that it is uh, getting now and, and what uh, uh, Jackie has done working with David to present all of these books 
so that every page of every book is available to you, whether you're reading it on your on the laptop or a desktop or on your phone or a tablet, uh, or if you choose to go to uh, Amazon and search under my name, Win, or search under uh, the Yada uh, Yahweh series, they're all there. And yeah. uh, it's all. A, uh, yeah, it is such a beautiful presentation and, uh, and wonderful tool. So we are working with Yahweh. Um, and it's the most enjoyable thing you can do. If, if someone gave me the choice of, do you want to go play uh, golf today? We have a wonderful Robert Brent Jones uh, golf course here on this island. Uh, you want to go scuba diving? We've got wonderful coral reefs here on this island. Uh, or do you want to, uh, to translate the, uh, the 12th chapter of, of Daniel and see if you can figure it out? I'm going, I'm going with the 12th chapter of Daniel. Yeah. Working with Yahweh is, is exceedingly rewarding. It's very fun, and it pays dividends. And they're not even taxable. Special bonus. But it is nice that, that we demonstrate our love for Yahweh by working with him. And doing so using our best judgment with all of our soul, which is our, uh, our ability to observe and respond uh, the best of our attitude. And when we do that, he uh, rewards us. So choose to be observant, he says, examining and evaluating, lest your judgments be gullible and you be deceived, you be naive and enticed, and you turn away and are forsaken by serving other gods and making declarations on behalf of them. Nabarim 11, 16. There's a reason that... Moshe is saying, focus, focus, focus. Read, read, read. Observe, observe, observe. Listen, listen, listen. It's because when you do, you're going to fall in love with Yahweh. You're going to engage and work with him. Your life is going to be, uh, have meaning, and you're going to be liberated and empowered and enriched, and, and your, your eternity is going to be spent with God in heaven. But if you don't, if you choose to be religious instead, if you choose to be political instead, if you choose just to be lazy instead, then, well, you're going to be misled. You will lose the capacity to exercise good judgment. You'll be gullible, you'll be naive, and easily enticed. And when that happens, you'll turn away and be forsaken. And you'll end up serving fake gods, even worshiping them. Did you hear what uh, was announced uh, today regarding Christianity in the United States? No. What happened? Yeah, it, it, the uh, uh, the Christianity is uh, falling at mind-boggling uh, uh, rates. Uh, if you go back just, what, 10, 15 years ago, mm-hmm. Christianity was the acknowledged religion, well, late as the early 1990s. 90% of Americans said they were Christians. That number has fallen to 60%. From wow. 90% to 
Uh, the number of Americans who said they're unaffiliated, uh, they're not religious, uh, doubled from 16% to almost 30%. Well, amazing. That's a shift. That's a big but, shift. Wow. But talk about important for this mission, because anybody who is uh, devoutly religious, Christian, uh, yeah, or they're, they're a Jew, they're a shutbook. Not even worth the time of day. Don't even try. Same thing would be true with somebody who identifies as a progressive or conspiratorialist. Don't bother. You're not going to be able to use evidence and reason and uh, convince them of anything. Uh, so the very fact that people are leaving Christianity in droves in America makes what we're doing so much more meaningful because it's the people who consider themselves agnostics uh, in particular, those who have rejected religion, that are the very people who can reason themselves to an understanding of God, provided the tools that we have uh, given with more accurate and complete translations and insightful commentary. Um, so this is really, really uh, good news. Uh, unfortunately, in, uh, in Israel, it's, it's just not the case. Uh, in Israel, there's this enormous battle where you have about 40% of the people either overtly religious um, to the point that their lives are worthless or, or overwhelmingly political, both on the right and the, uh, and the left, uh, such that they're totally reliant on and believe in their favorite politician. Um, matter of fact, uh, something really tragic happened in, uh, in Israel just a couple of days ago. Uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, whose only path to power is to bribe the Haredim. He is not a, uh, an ultra-Orthodox Jew, but his only path to power in the parliamentary system is to bribe the Haredim to, uh, uh, to vote uh, him into power. And the way that he does that uh, is to uh, is to force uh, mm -hmm. all all Israelites to fund them. So he announced uh, this week that he if he is reelected, he will guarantee that the Haredim, the ultra orthodox schools, are funded. Now he said this the day after the New York Times uh, released a report on. Um, Haredim uh, Orthodox schools in the United States. The state of New York, for example, provides a billion dollars to these schools. And when they gave the, uh, the basic math test, the required test of all uh, uh, students, not a single Haredim student, not one, could pass it. When they gave the grade level test, not a single student could pass any of them. They actually uh, forbid teaching the students how to read English. They forbid classes in math. The only thing you can do is to spend all day listening to and reading what the rabbis wrote in Yiddish. Uh, absolute, total, complete destruction of a human life. Uh, putting every Haredim child in an intellectual ghetto. And that's what Netanyahu would have uh, Israel uh, do. So this is a really serious problem where 
the people have become gullible and deceived, naive, and, uh, and easily enticed because they aren't listening to God. They aren't okay. listening to Yahweh. They're listening to these goddamn rabbis instead who are misleading them, who are feasting on them, who are making merchandise of them. Then Dabarim, uh, which means words, uh, the 11th chapter of the 17th statement goes on to say, then Yahweh's animosity will be kindled. So if you are part of Yahweh's family, you're a Yisraelite, a Yahud, and you've chosen to be unobservant. You've chosen to prioritize man's words, like the Talmud, over his Torah. And you're listening to men yabber as opposed to listening to what God has to say, then Yahweh animosity is kindled towards you. He is frustrated by you. He will turn against you. He even says, I'll restrain the atmosphere so that there'll be no rain. And the earth will not be productive. Then you will hasten your own demise and you will be abruptly led away from upon this good and beneficial land this beautiful and pleasing realm which as a benefit of the relationship Yahweh was offering to you therefore you should place these words of mine upon your heart influencing your judgment and before your soul such that your consciousness is observant and responsive. You should tie that which is associated with them as a sign that you agree as an illustrative illustration of your consent, doing so symbolically over your hand, influencing what uh, you can achieve. They can be as symbolic signs coming full circle between your eyes to encourage understanding through thoughtful comparisons. You should teach them to your children, speaking with them while living in your home, when you're walking along the way, even when you lie down and rest, as well as when you rise. He's not telling you to read your Talmud. He's not telling you to read your New Testament. He's not telling you to read the Quran. He's telling you to listen to what he had to say, what he had to say. That's what Moshe had to say. You find the words of Moshe in the Torah, not in the Talmud. Even if religious Jews would tell you that their Talmud is Torah, that's an outright lie. It is not. Listen to the words that Moshe conveyed on behalf of Yahweh. Teach those words to your children. Don't teach them the ridiculousness of rabbis. Teach them what Moshe had to say. Speak with them in your home, when you're walking with them, when you lie down. Recognize that these are symbols. These words symbolize the the nature of God and the relationship he wants to achieve with you. And let those symbols influence your perspective and understanding the things that you do. Don't be stupid and put a box with 
with a snippet on the back of your hand or on your arm or between your your eyes so that you look like a damn fool? That's not what he's talking about here. Write them on the doorframe of your home, then your gates. And as a result, your days will be substantially enhanced and increased. Boy, isn't that true. And I can't wait to get up at shortly after 5 in the morning and very seldom leave this chair before about 7.30, 8 o'clock at night. And I love every minute of it. Your days will be enhanced. Your time will be increased along with that of your descendants upon the earth in this realm of Adam, which is a benefit to show the way to get the greatest joy out of life. Yahweh promised your fathers, giving it to them in a manner consistent with the days of the spiritual realm of the heavens above and, and beyond the land. What he's saying here is that this land isn't a piece of dirt. This land represents heaven. It represents eternity. It represents camping out with Yahweh. The land is God's home, and he's sharing it with you. And long after this material world no longer exists, the promised land will continue to be Yahweh's home, where we get to live with him forevermore. The land, like these words, are all symbols, helping us understand what God is offering and asking in return. Because if you closely examine and carefully consider everything associated with the instructive conditions of the agreement, which I have provided as directions for you to act upon and engage on, approaching in love with Yahweh your God, walking in all of his ways while clinging to him, closely associated with him, then Yahweh will drive out all of these people from different races from your presence. You will dispossess non-Israelites far more numerous and powerful than you. Wow. But what happened? Exactly the opposite, right? Yeah, yeah, they possessed you. This was a uh, cause and consequence. You do this, I'll do that. You don't do this, well, I won't do that. You're on your own, yeah. You're on your own. And so what happened? Well, the Egyptians booted them out, and the Hittites booted them out, and the Canaanites uh, fought with them, and they lost so many battles to the Philistines. And, well, then, uh, you know, here come the, uh, the, uh, the Greeks, and after the, uh, the Greeks came the, well, actually, the Assyrians first. And mm-hmm. uh, and then the Babylonians, and then the <laughs> the Greeks, and then the Romans, and oh, then the uh, the Muslims, yeah. on and on and on, constantly booted out. And so God is saying, if if you want me to protect you and rid this land of those who would drive you out. Listen to what I have to say. Rather than the halakha thinking that it's Jewish law made up by the rabbis, walk with me. 
Don't cling to some rabbi and their ridiculous celebrations. Cling to me. Hold my hand. Uh, Pay attention to the directions that I have provided. Listen to the instructive conditions of the covenant. This land will be yours without interference. Since it isn't, well, that means that you didn't listen. Every place which the soles of your feet tread, it will be yours. From the desert, wilderness, to Lebanon, to the river, the Euphrates River, and all the way to the Western Sea, it will exist as your territory. There'll be no West Bank, no Gaza. There's not going to uh, be a uh, Hezbollah in Lebanon. You're not going to have to worry about uh, Islamic jihadists. Listen to me. Walk in my ways. and It'll all be yours. No one will be able to stand up to your presence. Yahweh, your God, will cause them to be in awe of you and to respect you as his gift over the presence of the land which you walk upon, consistent with what he has spoken to you. Well, today Jews are mocked and disrespected more than any other people on earth. And since God said, if you listen to me, if you walk in my ways, if you cling to me, if you love me, then no one will be able to stand up to you. Everyone will be in awe of you and respect you. The opposite of what they're expecting, uh, experiencing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. Yes. Choose to see and perceive that I am offering in your presence this day the blessing and the benefit or the curse of being slighted and vilified. The blessing and the benefits, well, they are associated with the relationship. If you listen to the instructions regarding what is being offered and expected, per the agreement with Yahweh, your God, which I have offered as instructions to you this day. Uh, It's so simple. Mm-hmm. Moses laid it off. The 11th chapter of the body tells you everything you need to know. One chapter, just read it. Embrace it. Accept it. Act upon it. You'll know God's name. You'll know his prophet's name. Offer. You'll yeah. know what he asked of us, what he expects of us, what he is offering to us. You'll understand the benefits, but you'll also understand what God predicted, which uh, is that we would reject him. Yep. Mm -hmm. The curse of being seen as unworthy and cursed of invoking harm will transpire if you do not listen. To the terms and conditions of the relationship of Yahweh, your God. Or if you turn away and change the way which I am instructing you and go after other gods which 
you do not know and cannot possibly understand. And so it shall be for certain when Yahweh your God brings you into the land that as a benefit of the relationship you will be entering and you should present the blessings and the benefits on Mount Gerizim separated and the curses being seen as unworthy and accursed of invoking harm upon Mount Ebal, exposed. Understand the difference. It's your choice. God has laid it out. If you listen to me, walk hand in hand, love me, work with me, accept the terms and conditions of the covenant, um, study the Torah, then you will receive the blessings. If you reject these things or are ignorant of them or naive about them, then life is not going to be, be very uh, promising. You're going to be like the Herodim in New York and fail. Now, Moshe's speech, Kirk, I think, was a uh, treat for the ears. It was a feast for the eyes. It was for mine brain. just now. Yeah, brain food. It is. You know, there's just no getting around that this is an extraordinary human being. Uh, He told all that would listen what Yahweh was offering and what he expected in return, as well as how we can capitalize on the benefits of the relationship by listening to the words of Yahweh our God. But for those who prefer faith to reality, religion to this relationship, Imagine gods like Hashem, like Jesus, like Allah, the Lord, that are all crafted in man's image to the one God who created humankind. Well, they will suffer the consequence of denying Yahweh. Uh, Since Moshe was clear and comprehensive, the realization that Israelites have spent most of the intervening 3,400 years enduring the curses, being seen as unworthy, while being um, cursed throughout the prophets of invoking harm, why are Jews continuing to agonize Yahweh? It's a good question. Why do they continue yeah. to agonize Yahweh? They, they won't say his name. They won't acknowledge his name. They won't even call themselves by his name. They prefer the Talmud over the Torah. They prefer the IDF to his hand. Why do they continue to rebel religiously and politically? One would have thought that since they claim to be Torah observant, one you along the way might have noticed what Moshe revealed and assessed their history. Perhaps even Bayan understood the association between these things, such that at least someone tried the approach that Moshe was articulating. Someone. One person. But no, not a soul. With these questions left unanswered, recognizing what these were, uh, that these were instructions to live by, 
Um, we can follow all of this uh, to uh, what actually happened. And uh, Kirk, I don't think we're uh, recording <laughs> or we're broadcasting anymore. I think we still are recording. I don't know how well the cell yeah. phone uh, is working. Uh, but Sounds good uh, on this end, minute, so I think you're so. in good shape. Yeah. Okay. Well, well, uh, we'll continue a minute or two. And, 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 okay. Yeah, because uh, when uh, I, I, Yahweh delivers Joshua, mm-hmm. uh, then led the people into the uh, the promised land, um, he actually fulfilled specifically what uh, Moshe had requested, um, inspired by Yahweh. So, Let's consider that. It says, meanwhile, Yosha, Yahweh saves, built establishing for the family name an altar to approach Yahweh, the God of Israel, upon Mount Ebal, exposed. Exactly as Moshe, Yahweh's co-worker, had instructed the children of Israel, and consistent with what was written within the written scroll of the Torah of Moshe, an altar of complete stones, which no one has uh, wielded an iron tool upon them. And they lift up upon it that which rises up to approach Yahweh. In addition, they prepared for consumption a friendship and fellowship offering to affirm the alliance. And there he wrote among the stones a copy of the Torah directions and instructions of Moshe, which he had written before the children of Israel. And all Israel, their elders, the scribes, and their judges stood on opposite sides of the ark, which was conspicuous beside the lowly priests, who lifted it up and carried the ark of the covenant of Yahweh. Similarly, the foreigners who were traveling with them, as well as the native-born, assembled with half of them toward the foreground of Mount Garizim, separated, and half of them toward the foreground on Mount Ebal, exposed, just as Moshe, the co-worker of Yahweh, instructed to bless for the benefit of the family, the people of Israel, from the beginning. They took the word of Yahweh literally, which is how we should take it. They did as mm-hmm. God instructed. They were there with the Ark of the Covenant. Center focus. They were native-born Israelites and, um, and Goyim. Yeah. And it was the written scroll of the Torah that they were paying attention to. There was no Talmud. There was no oral law. This whole myth that the Talmud is a oral Torah dating to the time of Moshe is puppy Yes. A outright religious lie that you have to be you have to be educated in a Haredim school to believe. Afterward, accordingly. He recited, pronouncing every one of the words of the Torah uh, guidance, the blessings and the benefit and the curse of being seen as unworthy while being cursed of invoking harm in accordance with everything which was inscribed within the written scroll of the Torah. Say that again? The written? 
the written scroll of the Torah. There was no oral Torah. Thank you. The written (laughs) scroll of the Torah. There did not exist a word out of the entirety of what Moshe instructed that Yosha did not read and recite conspicuously and publicly near the entire community of Yisrael, including the women and the children, as well as the foreigners who traveled with them in their midst. <laughs> what do the rabbis said? Don't allow the women to read the Torah because they'll uh, twist it and use it against us. I'll do that. They'll use it against us. Well, of course they will because yeah, you you're a liar. <laughs> yeah, and you lie through your teeth. Of course they will. Of course, the rabbis uh, and, uh, and Jewish uh, Orthodox men wake up in each day and say, thank God I'm not a woman. And then they go and make women's lives miserable. What miserable people. Well, since religious Jews pay homage to a lie, that of an oral Torah, Yahweh consistently underscored the realization that his Torah was a written document, which Yosha read and recited. And since the rabbis have disparaged women by precluding them from Torah study, Yahweh affirmed that they too were there to listen and learn. And we turn to these passages in a desire to better understand the events which transpired in and around the Jezreel Valley. And this particular presentation is appealing for a number of reasons. This is a, this particular reference is from Moshe. It's found in the Torah and thus very early in the life of Yisrael. Experience in the Jezreel Valley begins here. Second, it is uh, in and of itself a portrait painted in black and white with the letters on the page. It conveys the blessings which would abound if Israelites listened to Yahweh, as well as the degrading consequences of ignoring God. And Moshe was clear as to what would lead to one versus the other. This is therefore a very early referendum on religion versus the relationship that Yahweh intended. The third insight here that I wanted to share was that the altar that uh, Yosha was instructed to build on Mount Ebal. It was unearthed in the 1980s. It was announced that when shifting material which was excavated from around the altar, the leading archaeologist serving the Associates for Biblical Research, his name is Dr. Scott Stripper, discovered a small lead tablet. The altar dates to 1400 BCE, during Yosha's lifetime. The metallurgy demonstrates that the lead used to create the tablet came from a late Bronze Age mine located in Greece, and it is there from, for from the same time period. Further, the tablet was written using the oldest Paleo-Hebrew text with the characters drawn as we have presented them throughout an introduction to God. How remarkable. And even more wow. remarkable, the inscription matches the explanation of what occurred here. We not only find 
the words uh, Kalala, curses, Baha Elohim, by the God, and we find the oldest written text of Yahweh's name, spelled yod Hey wah yaw Isn't that amazing? Dating uh, about all the time. 100 BCE, written in the original Paleo-Hebrew language of the Torah, yeah. alphabet of the Torah, oh. affirming on the altar these uh, curses and benefits. That's a pretty good way to start our tour through the Yezreel Valley. Unfortunately, from this point, it's going to turn dark, but it sure started off brilliantly, didn't it? Yes, sir. All right, Kirk. Well, I'm sorry for the uh, the uh, the time that I lost when the uh, the uh, the sky poured down rain. See, I must be doing things right. It rained on me. I can't <laughs> talk about, about what's happened for you in California, but it it rained on Leah and I right here at, <laughs> in paradise. Thanks, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> and it's going to pour down. water. The next uh, day or two, um, we're supposed to get a uh, a foot of rain. That's a lot of rain mm. over the next uh, couple of days. Uh, but uh, I'm sorry, my uh, my Skylink connection does not Starlink connection does not like rain, and we went off uh, line both with the phone and uh, internet. Um, but uh, I'm glad we were able to reconnect. Thank you for filling in uh, yes. for me. Yes. Thank and you for we look forward back. to being with you uh, this time uh, next week, uh, particularly uh, as we approach the celebration uh, that is really uh, among the most important to us, which is Teruah. Our lives yeah. revolve around Teruah. We are we're a living embodiment Teruah, of uh, Teruah on behalf of uh, Yahweh's intent to awaken his people so that uh, that... Um, many who will choose to come home and be reconciled with Yahweh on Kippurim. So happy Shabbat. Uh, happy uh, as we approach uh, celebra- uh, celebration of Yom Teruah. Uh, please do not be fooled by uh, Rosh Hashanah. That's a Babylonian head of the year. Yahweh's new year starts and Abib, uh, not in the seventh month of the year. That is a religious and Babylonian uh, celebration like your Babylonian uh, Talmud. Um, yeah. Don't do that. Uh, understand the purpose of Teruah to, uh, to warn Yisraelites that you have very little time left uh, and to celebrate the message that Yahweh has provided to return home. Well, happy Shabuah. Uh, Teruah, uh, happy Shabbat. Uh, we look forward to uh, being uh, with you all next week, and uh, we're looking forward to a, a good cleansing rain here in the, the Virgin Islands, and I wish uh, for the same for all of you, uh, wherever you may be okay. listening around the world. May God bless. Thank you. Shalom, good night. shalom. Good night.